In our day and age, it's popular to say that you're spiritual, but not religious. Often what is meant by this phrase is that you're against organized, institutional, or a hierarchy that gives structure to religion and spirituality. In today's episode, we continue our exploration of James, and we discover what James means by being spiritual, that is, true religion. The bottom line, being religious means that we have to walk the way by being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. to The Way Podcast. I'm Father Dustin, your host. We are continuing our journey through the epistle of St. James, or St. Yakovos, and today we'll be starting with verse 17. Now, I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version, but as always, I encourage you to look at other translations, and if you're able, look at the original Greek. There's a lot there, and you won't be disappointed that you compared them. Uh, this is the way that we really dig into Bible study and learn from Scripture. Without further ado, here is verse 17 of chapter 1. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now those of us who are in the Orthodox tradition will recognize this Every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. This is said at every divine liturgy, and it's very familiar to us. And scripturally, this is where it comes from. It comes from the epistle of St. James. But what is he talking about? What gifts are coming from above? Is James referring to any good thing that happens to us, any gift we receive in life, Or does he have something more specific in mind? Let's look at verse 18 and see if that gives us a clue. So verse 18 says, In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creation. I would say if you look at both verse 17 and 18, that every perfect gift from above is none other than the Torah. Now, the Torah, for those who don't know, is a reference to the Pentateuch, or in English sometimes is translated as the Law. Now, these are the first five books of Moses. And the Law can be confusing. Some people use it in a very restrictive sense. There is the Law that's given to Moses on Mount Sinai, which he then breaks when he finds out that the Hebrews had created the golden calf and started worshiping it. And then there's the law that's a reference to the entirety of the five books. So there's the law that we read, which is the entire five books, but then there's the character of the law within the law. In other words, the character or the law that's given to Moses. For our purposes, The law is the entirety. It includes the story of creation, includes the story of the patriarchs, includes the story of the Exodus, and includes the story of the Hebrews going into the promised land, or they're wandering in the desert for 40 years. That's the entirety of the law. And the whole thing is instruction. 
And in fact, that's another way to translate Torah. Instead of just translating it as law, we could also translate it as instruction. And the entirety of those first five books, well, actually, the entirety of all of Scripture is an instruction for us, an instruction to help us grow spiritually, to become mature. In other words, how to walk the way, how to form a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that perfect gift from above coming down from the Father of Lights, I would argue, is the law, Scripture, the Bible, however you want to think of that. Because it says, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God's instruction to us on how to walk the way doesn't change. It's not because we live in this time or this place or part of this culture or that culture that the law changes. It remains the same. We are to love God and love our neighbor no matter who we are or when we live or what we're doing. There is no variation or shadow or change, as Scripture says here. So, in fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth. So, the word here for word, that word of truth, is logos. And I think we're all familiar with the word logos. It's used in Greek philosophy, but it's also used in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, or logos, enarchi logos. And here it's the same word that James is using, the logos of truth. In Christian theology, logos can mean a few different things. On one hand, we often use it to refer to Christ, the Word of God. So the Word is a person, Jesus Christ. But the Word can also be used much more functionally. And Father Paul Terazzi has argued in his commentaries that the Word means Scripture, or the Law, or the Instruction, that Torah that we just talked about. I think what James is saying in this context is that Christians are formed by adhering to the law or the instruction that's given to them. In other words, we become mature Christians who are walking on the way. We're forming that relationship with Christ. And we become Christians when we allow God's instruction to form us. That is the word of truth. And this is exactly what happens in baptism. We are to die to ourselves in order to rise from the waters as a Christian. We are born by the proclamation of the gospel and adhering to that proclamation. And so we become a kind of first fruits of his creatures, he says. We are the first ones to receive life. Although the purpose, as we know from St. Paul at the end of Galatians, is for the entire world to be renewed. As Paul says, all that matters is new creation. That's what he says in chapter 6 of Galatians. But we are to be a first fruits of this new creation. So let's move on. Let's look now at verse 19. Again, I'm using the New Revised Standard Version. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, I think this is perhaps what James has in mind for what a mature Christian looks like. How does that mature Christian act? If they're walking the way, what does that look like? We get quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. He lists those three as 
the three stepping stones, if you will, and then continues to expand on what he means by each of those, although he does it in a different order. So let's continue on and see what he has to say. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. So even though he mentioned quick to listen first in 19, he starts with anger here. What does he mean by being slow to anger? Well, first off, he reminds his readers that becoming angry does not lead to God's righteousness. Now, anger here in the original Greek is orgi, and it means anger or vengeance or indignation or wrath. All those are translations for the word James uses in the original Greek. If you also look at the original Greek, what James says is anger doesn't work for the justice of God. In other words, it inhibits us from walking the way. There's a hindrance there. Anger becomes a hindrance. And we all know people who get angry, and we know how damaging that can be both to ourselves, to our families, and even to the person who is constantly angry. The question is, what about Jesus in the temple? Jesus is angry at the money changers in the temple, and he disrupts their business by overturning the tables. Or what about Paul in Galatians? It seems that Paul is angry at the Galatians for following a different gospel. He calls them foolish Galatians and puts a curse on them. And then later he says that he wishes that those who were preaching the other gospel were to castrate themselves. After all, they had been advocating for circumcision, for becoming people of God. And Paul says, I wish they would just cut it off. And then even James, later in his letter, seems to get angry at the rich. So how can it be that James is saying, be slow to anger, yet we have these examples of anger even in the New Testament? And this isn't even including the Old Testament. I won't even touch on that for now. What does it mean to be slowed anger? Well, I think the difference is in the motives. Oftentimes, anger, in the bad sense, comes from our own ego. We get upset because our pride is offended, or we get upset because things aren't done our way. And that sort of anger is disruptive. It's sinful. And it causes a lot of pain and suffering, not only to others, but to the one who is angry. But the sort of anger that we see in Jesus overturning the money changers, or the sort of anger we see in Paul when he's going against those who preached a different gospel, or the sort of anger we see here in the book of James, which we'll get to in a future podcast, is a sort of anger that is trying to further the gospel. And it's not about an ego, and it's not about getting one's way. So to help make this a little clearer, I want to turn to the letter of James, a pastoral commentary that's written by Addison Hodges Hart. This is the brother of David Bentley Hart. And he wrote an entire commentary on James. And regarding anger, here's what he says. Anger is an expression of the propensity we have to make ourselves the center of everything. God, in drawing us towards himself, is drawing us into a newly born existence wherein we grow to recognize him as the center and that our lives are connected to everything else that exists. 
Consequently, we really have no need to cling so desperately to ourselves that we lash out or do harm to others. Egocentric indignation, then, is something that cannot by its nature coexist with the goodness of God if we are to abide in Him. So the problem with anger, according to Addison Hodges' heart, is that it draws us away from God and draws us into ourselves, into our own ego. And anger tends to serve as a way of protecting ourselves or our own ego to boost our pride. And this, of course, is contrary to what God says when he says we should love our neighbors. Because loving our neighbors means we have to set our own egos aside in order to reach out towards them. A difference, I think, in the reasoning behind the anger and what James is talking about is that sort of anger that we do when we look after ourselves and not the sort of anger that Christ had or Paul has or even James. So let's continue on. He says in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. So here he's turning to the quick to listen. So remember, our three was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And he's covered anger a little bit. And now he's turning to quick to listen. But notice what listening means. It means being doers of the word. And he compares that to looking at yourself in a mirror. And we can associate this with vanity. They look at themselves in a mirror and they admire themselves. But then they go away and they don't have the mirror to reflect their image back at them. And so they forget what they look like. And he says, But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. In other words, when you look at yourself in a mirror, you can see who you really are. The law, or God's instruction, or scripture, is supposed to act in that same way. When we study the Torah, when we study Scripture, it should reflect back to us who we are. We should see where we fall short, but we should also see who we are called to be. In other words, another way of saying this is, when we read Scripture, we should be able to discover our own sins, or we should discover that we are sinful people in need of repentance. And it should also guide us on how to walk the way. When we repent, how do we move forward to become mature Christians? And this idea isn't foreign to Scripture. In fact, Paul talks about it in Romans. This is Romans 7, 7. What I mean is that I should not have known what sin was except for the law. I should not, for instance, have known what it means to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And now I'm jumping to verse 21. In fact, this seems to be the rule that every single time I want to do good, it is something evil that comes to mind. In my innermost self, I dearly love God's law, but I can see that my body follows a different law that battles against the law which my reason dictates. This is what makes me a prisoner of the law of sin which lives inside my body. 
In other words, what Paul is saying is that the law helps us on our spiritual journey. It reveals to us the true nature of fallen humanity so that we can make corrections in our lives. And in fact, that's what repentance means. Metania, which is the Greek word, means to literally change your heart or to change your mind. So if you are walking in one direction, you are to turn around and walk in the other direction. And so to be a hearer of the word, quick to listen, as James says here, means to pay attention to what scripture is saying to pay close attention to it and allow it to reveal who we really are inside so that we can make those changes. We can't correct our mistakes if we don't know what our mistakes are. And so in that way, reading scripture is sort of like going to a doctor. It's a way of getting a spiritual checkup, if you will. And that's why scripture is so important. And that's why James here says that we should be quick to listen And that listening also means being doers of the word. We are to act on what we discover in ourselves and repent, make that correction to our lives. James ends by saying, If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. So now he's talking about the slow to speak. And this is the final of that triad. Any progress we make on the way on the path that leads to Christ, is worthless if we can't control our tongues. James will talk about this more, so I won't dwell on it here too much. But going to church, taking communion, reading scripture, giving to the poor, all of these things are worthless, James says, if we can't control our tongues, because it deceives our heart. And he even goes as far as to say as our religion is worthless, In other words, if we can't stop gossiping, slandering, backbiting, giving verbal abuse and condemnation of others, then our spirituality is a joke. Our Christianity is a joke. We have to learn to control our tongues. So, brothers and sisters, James here is really getting at the heart of what it means to walk the way. We have to hear what Scripture is saying. We have to allow Scripture to penetrate our hearts and our souls, and we have to act on that. We have to act on that to make the changes in our lives that need to be made so that we can become better Christians. And some of those changes include controlling our anger so that we aren't all about ourselves and hurting others, and it also means controlling our tongues. All three of these Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger are connected. They're all intertwined, according to James. But if we want to learn to walk the way, this is the advice we must heed. So we'll continue on with the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 next week. May God bless you all.